Welcome to Table Radio. Today's sermon is the last theme in our Rooted series, Every Member Mission. I preach this sermon as part of our Big Table service on Sunday, May 2nd. Enjoy! Um, we're keeping with this Zoom thing. I think we're going to continue with it for Big Tables throughout the summer. And as always, we are continuing our discussion in our Rooted series, still talking about every member ministry. So that's why we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. So we are followers of Jesus on mission, and today we're going to focus on the how. How do we go on mission with Jesus? And so to begin to answer that question, um, we're going to look at Paul's discussion of the gifts of the Spirit, which I just read for you. So if you have your Bibles out, or Bible apps, or whatever, um, put it in front of you, because that kind of helps us as we're going along. Now, I don't know what your experience with the Holy Spirit is, what your feelings about the giftings might be, but I want to reassure you first that the fact that you are here today listening to this, uh, participating, the fact that you are a Christian is evidence of the Spirit's work in your life. So the first work of the Holy Spirit is to bring us to faith. So congrats. (laughs) You're already a Christian. You already have the Spirit. Um, So if you ever are concerned or wonder if you have the Spirit, there's your answer right there. But beyond our call to faith, the Spirit is at work calling us into deeper fellowship with God and deeper service in the church. And this is our subject for today. And so we're going to use uh, the book of Corinthians as a bit of a guide in this discussion. And if you remember anything of the story of the church in Corinth, um, Acts 18 tells of how Paul came to Corinth as a missionary. He spent about 18 months there, started a church, and then he left. And as he left, problems arose in his absence. Uh, we know that there were divisions in the church. If you've studied the book before, you might remember this. There was unlawful sexual activity. Jews and Greek uh, Gentiles are split over the issue of temple food. And Paul addresses all of this by reminding them that the nature of love is to deny ourselves and to look for the well-being of others. It's not about us. It's about the collective us, the community. So what prompts him to give us this list of gifts in chapter 12 is the problem that specifically arose during their worship. And you can read about that through chapters 11 to 14 of uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, It tells us that people were having powerful spiritual experiences And the gifts were being expressed in a way that was causing chaos, basically. People couldn't hear what was being taught during the meetings because of all the noise and all the happenings. And Paul's main point to them is that God's spirit should be working through everyone in a unified way so that it doesn't cause confusion. Uh, We know from the very beginning of creation that the spirit came to bring order to chaos, and that work continues today. It is important for us to remember, Paul says, that all of this is for the building up of the church. Love should compel us to use our gifts to seek the well-being of others. Intense spiritual experiences shouldn't distract or cause confusion or fear, because love is always the first order issue. So a little bit of background so we can further understand the context within which Paul says these words. Corinth was a gateway between Upper and Lower Greece, and it also connected East to West travel. To get to Rome, you had to go through Corinth first. 
So it became a land of opportunity. It was very metropolitan. It was a trade center. And every culture, religion, and class was represented there. Um, the city was full of idols and idol worship. And so seeking an ecstatic spiritual experience was very popular and desired by most anyone. Uh, we know that Corinth was synonymous with sexual activity. Over a thousand sacred shrine prostitutes worked in the city, and their activity would spill out of the temples and onto the street. Um, there was even a verb created in Latin called Corinthianize, which meant to live a promiscuous, sensuous, self-indulgent, um, self-focused kind of life. So in order to become a Christian, Corinthian believers said no to all of that way of life, and um, they abstained from such social activity, which Paul takes issue uh, with them over when they neglect that. Um, and they said no to that kind of self-indulgence. But by living there in that city, they would have always been surrounded by all of this chaos, and they would be tempted by it. But because of their conversion to Christianity, Corinthians could no longer participate in the wider social life in the same way. They couldn't go to temples. They couldn't eat food dedicated to idols. They couldn't engage with a lot of the common activity that connected people in that place. Their relationship with the wider world had changed because of their confession of Christ. In chapter 12, Paul's conflict with them comes to a head as they disagree with him over what it means to be spiritual. They didn't ask him about spiritual gifts, but he is offering this knowledge to them as a corrective. They've gotten off track, and he wants to help right their course. Again and again, throughout this chapter, Paul stresses unity. The same and one spirit is giving a variety of gifts so that it can bless and benefit the whole spirit the whole people of God. These aren't parlor tricks or demonstrations of spiritual talent or prowess. Um, these are a means of grace and a blessing from God so that we can bless each other. The Corinthians saw spirituality as an escape from the physical world. But for Paul, life in the spirit enables us to live more completely into the present, not to escape it. Our eternal future with God is secure but that life to come is not yet in its fullness. And so in the meantime, our job in the present is to cultivate loving, responsible relationships within the church. And our times of public worship must be for our mutual edification, not for heightened individualistic spirituality. And I realize the irony of me saying that because we're all individually in our homes right now. Um, but that is what the Spirit is given these gifts for, so that we can commune with one another. And there's going to be more on that later. So the gifts bless and enhance our current circumstances. Um, they don't provide an escape from it. So Paul continues to contrast the before and after for them. When you were pagans, he says, you used to be this way. He wants to make clear that there is a difference between them and the wider culture. It is our purpose, he says, to be different, and the gifts are just one of the things that distinguishes us from what is around us. We should get comfortable with this tension of difference between ourselves and those who are not Christians. We are weird, <laughs> and we need to get comfortable with how weird we are. So he repeats over and over, one spirit, many gifts. One spirit, the same spirit, gives all of these things. And it is all for the purpose of one common good. 
God is calling a body of people, not some kind of stitched together Frankenstein monstrosity. The gifts are diverse and we are diverse. We're all different from each other. But God calls us together to be as one. And the gifts are the things that help us to do that. Paul works very hard in these opening sentences to make all this clear. Diverse gifts, service, workings, all different, but it's all from the same Lord. So I reassured you already that if you're listening to this, the Spirit is already at work in your life. That part is easy. But what if using the gifts could be just as simple and as natural as your own confession of faith? Well, theologian Eugene Peterson tells a story in his books, uh, his book Run with the Horses, of birds leading their chicks out to a branch and trying to get them to fly. One baby bird holds so tightly to the branch and refuses to move, so his parents begin to peck at his feet, which compels him to let go and to fly. Birds have feet and can walk, he says. But flying is their characteristic action, and not until they fly are they living at their best, gracefully and beautifully. So have we been too reluctant to fly? Have we been reluctant to live into the gifts of the Spirit and neglected a part of our created nature? Now, of course, it's important to remember that the gifts are not earned. Paul makes this argument over and over throughout the whole book. The gifts can only be received or refused. We have the Spirit, but then we need to keep asking him to move through us, to do the things that change our lives and deepen our faith. We have an active agency. It is the Lord's gifts, but it is our agency and participation with those gifts that allows them to be used. God desires to give us gifts, and we can choose whether to accept them or to not, and of course, how to use them. So these gifts are given by God for our good, and Paul assumes that spiritual gifts will be a part of the life of every Christian person. Later in chapter 14, he says, we must all pursue love and spiritual gifts. He assumes that both those things are things that we desire. So we have some decisions to make. Will we accept and exercise the gifts God gives us? And to do so, of course, we need to be in a situation that they might be used um, if we never take time to pray with others or for others, it's kind of hard for the gifts to surface. If we don't go to worship, if we don't engage with the Lord, it's hard for the opportunity for the gifts to come forth. Um, the spiritual gifts accompany prayer and worship. The practicing life of a Christian is what allows them to flow forth. And of course, while the gifts are for us, they are not about us. Paul says this again and again as well. The manifestation of the Spirit is for the common good, the building up and strengthening of the church. So God's gifts are for me, but they're not about me. Um, I know many of you, I'm sure, have read the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, there's a point, I think it's in chapter 10, where the children cross, have crossed into Narnia, and they receive gifts from Father Christmas. And as he hands them to the children, if you think, remember he gives one of them a bow, an arrow, and I think Lucy gets like a special potion or something that heals people. But as he offers them to the children, he says, these are your presents. They are tools, not toys. Bear them well. A toy exists for our own pleasure, 
but tools are to be used for something, not just for play. Our spiritual gifts are to be used so we can build together with the Lord, and we need to bear them well. So, how will God use the tools he gives us to build together? Maybe some of us are leaving our tools untouched. Um, Perhaps God has offered you some and you haven't really picked them up. Uh, During this year, I started praying regularly with three other friends online, of course, and a number of the spiritual gifts I hadn't experienced in a while started to come back. Um, And this, of course, was because I was placing myself regularly in a situation where they could be used. Um, If I never spent time in prayer with others, if I wasn't actively asking God to heal or speak or move in some way, the gifts would have no purpose. And so, of course, I would have no need for them. And I think now more than ever, because of all we've gone through in the past year, the body of Christ is in a state of disrepair. And so we, thankfully, have tools at our disposal to use to build it back up again. We need to take up our tools and to put them to use. And in this season of so much loss for so many of us, will we use the gifts at our disposal to work with the Lord as he rebuilds his church? So there is an invitation for us to open our hands and our hearts and say, Come, Holy Spirit, use me. So, what are the gifts exactly? Remember, we don't choose them. The Spirit decides who gets what. Uh, Let's look at verse 8 together. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. So, how do we know what gifts we might have? Um, Well, circumstances (laughs) reveal um, what we may have in a particular moment. I have found myself um, in a situation of praying for someone, and God will give me a picture or a word to share. I've had the experience of praying for someone and laying hands on them, and they've been healed. Um, Now, I was never asking specifically for the gift of healing. Just, I was in the moment, asking for healing from my friend, and God did something that I didn't anticipate. Um, I've never been able to interpret speaking in tongues. I don't exactly even know what I'm saying when I speak in tongues, which is why I pray quietly. (laughs) Um, I don't think I've ever distinguished between spirits. All I know is that when I'm in a place where I'm praying for others, God supplies whatever is needed for that particular moment. And sometimes unexpected things do happen. And if I never experienced some of these gifts, it's because God simply chose not to give them to me. But my job is to continue to ask for whatever is needed and pray and know that God will provide. So most of these gifts are pretty self-explanatory. Prophecy is the ability to hear God speaking in the present. It's not fortune-telling or predicting the future. It's not like seeing a psychic. Um, It's a word of knowledge from the Lord. Uh, Walter Brueggemann says, prophetic ministry is really about developing and giving voice to an alternative vision or way of thinking from the dominant culture around us. So it enables us to hear directly from God and to, to blot out all the noise. 
an alternative vision, something other than what we see represented in the everyday. So if my hope for the future is tied too closely to what is present in the culture around me, I've allowed something else to take the place of the voice of God in my life. We do need words of hope spoken over us that align with God's future for us. We need his vision, his perspective, because he exists outside and above all what we are currently experiencing. Paul is saying we should desire to hear and have access to God's voice, that that is actually really good and healthy for us. Uh, The gift of tongues is an invitation to intimate prayer, an ability to pray in a way that allows our spirit to speak directly to God. And it lifts the limits of language temporarily so we can speak right to him. Paul says, uh, actually in in chapter 14, that we should all desire tongues apparently. Um, If you read further into that chapter, he thinks it would be really good for us to all communicate with God in this intimate way. So what will our life in the Spirit look like? Remember, ever since the point of creation, the Spirit has been moving, hovering, bringing order to chaos. And this hovering that the Spirit does, like an eagle landing on a nest, looking over her young, The work of the Spirit is to come close to us, to comfort us, but to also challenge us to take new heights so that our faith can go deeper. In other words, to challenge us to fly. The Spirit desires to comfort, but also to challenge. Uh, And to close today, I just want to read a little bit of an article I read this week. Um, There's a group of us that have been reading uh, Tish Warren's newest book, Prayer in the Night, and she wrote uh, a piece for Christianity Today called Log Off and Know That I Am God, and I read it this week and thought, yeah, this is good to know. (laughs) Uh, It struck me that much of the reason we might not hear from or experience the Spirit may be because our minds are so clouded with digital noise. We are online so much, uh, much more so during the pandemic, and we have less and less of that live, in-person time with God and each other and certainly less time in worship than we used to. And, of course, those are the places that the gifts are meant to surface. So I think maybe her words might be a little helpful for us today. This is what she says. Our online discourse often trains us to undervalue the vast mystery of God by immersing ourselves in sociological and theological commentary and debate. These conversations matter, of course, but we are in peril of replacing transcendence with imminence. We miss the deeper things of God for the Christian controversy du jour. Amid the noise of a mundane work week, we forget the complete miracle that we are proclaiming. Many of us spend far more time on social media than in gathered worship, guilty, and that digital space often hinders true repentance, contemplation, or prayer. It is harder to approach God as the mysterious creator of the crab nebula, sustainer of every minute, and redeemer of the cosmos when we've spent hours reading the words of strangers, arguing with strangers about spiritual things. Taken up daily, these activities yield a type of God-talk burnout, where we lose sight of what is most unspeakable and most powerful about our creator. Robust notions of truth, beauty, and goodness thin in our imaginations. It requires us to re-engage the sacredness, the weirdness, 
the astonishing wonder of God. It requires silence, stillness, worship, and repentance. It requires speaking of God less and seeking God more. Social media is here to stay. Nonetheless, we have to learn to retreat into those older, slower forms of spiritual conversion with real people and with long books. We have to take up practices of solitude, fasting, gathered worship, and the sacraments, these embodied habits that resist being subsumed by technology. And we need, this is the important part, whole topologies of spiritual terrain in our life that we never discuss online. Parts of ourselves that we keep for God and our embodied communities alone. Learning timely silence is a countercultural act, especially when there are good things to say in an ever-ready medium demanding that we say them. But if we don't resist its demands, our talk of God will slowly replace the worship he alone is due. So consider this morning, what part of yourself do you keep for God and for the church alone? What part of yourself does only God and your fellow Christians know? Can we resist the noise and demands and temptation of the culture around us, and can we retreat into a timely silence? The Corinthians had to say no to a lot of pleasure and opportunity around them so that they could faithfully follow Christ. And we need to do the same. Remember the miracle we are proclaiming. Christ died and rose again. Remember the things that are most powerful and unspeakable about God. And let us take time for silence, stillness, worship, and repentance. Let us speak less and seek God more. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your servant, Paul, who sought to communicate the powerful, untangible, unspeakable things about you. Help us, Lord, to walk in step with your spirit. Help us to set aside times to pray, to minister to others, and to say yes to the tools, the gifts that you are offering us. Holy Spirit, would you move in us, we pray. And would you use us in the rebuilding of your church, we ask. Jesus' name. Amen. That's why we praise you. And you called it good. That's why we praise you. Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church a community in Victoria, B.C. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by the Preparation EP, written and arranged by Coco Relieve, and can be found at thetablechurch.bandcamp.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. Darkness cannot hide